are you controlling in the kitchen? Do you cook, Mr. Neville? No. No. <gasps> no. I think I have cooked 10 times in the last uh, 15 years. Don't ask me to, to do anything. I mean, even to, to prepare an apple, uh, it's, it's too much work for me and uh, I hate it. You learned English and French, so you would have been very good at languages at school, I think. Yeah, I, I just left with the team and with some girlfriends and everything. <laughs> I believe I have enough uh, driving skills to be a postman, so I could... Very quick one. <laughs> I could do this job as well, but uh, of course I really targeted to be a professional driver. Welcome everyone to WRC Backstories, our exclusive WRC podcast presented by Bex Williams. Welcome along everyone for the second edition of WRC Backstories. We hope you are keeping safe and healthy wherever you are around the world right now during these really strange and challenging times. If you listened in to our first podcast, then you'll know that we're endeavouring to find out a little bit more about the people who make up the World Rally Championship. Forget the stats, forget the trophies. We are looking into what brought them into the sport. Add a little bit more about the personalities behind the faces. I mean, who knew that Thierry Neuville was a neat freak who couldn't cook or even prepare an apple to eat? I'm still unsure what preparing an apple actually means. In my part of the world, we wash it and bite into it. Might be different in Belgium, however. For this episode, we catch up with one of the newer members to the WRC fold. He began rallying in 2013 and in 2019 stepped into a world rally car for the first time. We head to the M Sport Ford camp to chat with Gus Greensmith. So, Mr. Greensmith, we're finding out all about you today, who you are as a person, a man behind the statistics. So first up, a bit of a difficult question. If you were to describe yourself in three words for me, what would they be? Uh, ruthless, impatient and thorough. Ruthless. Wow, that's quite a word to kick yeah. off with. But I guess you have to be in this sport as a competitor, as a driver. Ruthlessness comes into it all. But when I look at you here with your blonde hair and your blue eyes, you, you're not ruthless at all. Talk to me a little bit more about where this ruthless streak comes from. Well, it's, I suppose you can say the same about my dad as well. We all, we all appear really friendly, really nice and have a good chat and, uh, and just try to be nice people. But at the end of it, in different aspects, him with business and with me with rallying, it's kind of, you've got to be ruthless to, to get to where you want to be. So I kind of learned that through him. It doesn't mean, there's no, re being ruthless doesn't mean you can't be nice to people. But it's when it comes down to it and how much effort you're willing to put into something, that's when you kind of have to sacrifice other things. And then at the end of the day, there was like a good little thing. I was always struggling how to describe it. And then there was something on the drive to survive thing that I saw. And it was the, uh, and they were described it as an inner, not so pleasant word, when drivers will just do anything to win and that's at the end of the day when it comes down to it you've got to have that to really make it I think I think you have it is important to have that within you but you know going a bit further back with you you talked about your dad in business and we know he's a successful man your family life is really interesting because you have you know when you look at it such a close-knit family everyone's really close your mom your dad always on events, always supporting you. When did you know in your career that you wanted to 
kind of come in this direction into a motorsport direction? Uh, well, I started off originally as a goalkeeper and that kind of was something I was enjoying. And then basically my dad took me to a, uh, one of his like when he was when he was doing a bit of racing in his spare time. And I thought, right, four wheels and engine, we're doing this no matter what. And then kind of from that point on, then I just kind of knew this is what I wanted to do. But I never dreamt that I would make it into a kind of a, a job almost. Uh, and then it was kind of maybe 2015, 16, where I realized oh, I'm actually getting not so bad here. And then I thought, right, OK. Me and my dad had a deal that I had to get top grades and do the best I could in school, hence why I think it was 2015 Portugal. I missed the recce because I had to do my exams. And then I turned up with someone else doing the recce for me and then did the rally. And then basically said, right, we've got two years to go and kind of show that you've got something in you. And then it's progressed from there. And here we are now. A goalkeeper. So how many years were you a goalkeeper for? And was football the absolute passion from when you were very young? Yeah, I think. For most, uh, for most young lads, it was kind of football or rugby or so something like that was kind of where it started. And then, yeah, I think it was from like the age of seven or eight till I was about 12. And then I moved to, uh, gave that up pretty quickly once I realized how much fun four wheels and an engine is. <laughs> yeah, a lot of fun. I'm sure a lot more fun than being a goalkeeper, but that requires certain skills as well. And a certain, uh, not ruthlessness, maybe. But were you a good goalkeeper, Gus? Ah, well, at the end of it, just before I quit, I was doing the trials to get into Manchester City and then I quit pretty much. That's how much I wanted to do motorsport instead of football because I was pretty happy to, uh, to quit. But yeah, fo uh, football was great. Being a goalkeeper was great for rallying because uh, obviously the hand-eye coordination, reaction time, it's all things that are built, uh, built up towards it. So for me, it was like a, a really good first step into motorsport, as weird as that sounds. You know, from your family perspective, from your mum's perspective, if you were to go on to be a goalkeeper, she'd know exactly where you are at all times. And you're relatively safe, other than, you know, getting a ball to the head or the groin region. But motorsport is a completely different kettle of fish, as we know. What did your mum think about this transition into wanting to, to be a daredevil? As soon as you said, what does your, my mum think? I, was, I knew exactly what I was going to say. So like the first time I ever rolled my cart and broke my arm, uh, there was a big palaver. Oh God, he's, he's broken his arm. We're, we're going to hospital now, we'll meet you there. By the second, third time it was, oh, he's broken his arm again, but we're gonna drive back to Manchester because it's likely that the wait for A&E there is gonna be less and we can probably go to the pub before the end of the day. So it changed pretty quickly. Uh, obviously she, when you see the speed of the WRC cars, she worries and, and, and as, as any mother does, but uh, for sure, as time's passed, it's, it's nowhere near as intense as it used to be. And to be fair, the, the, I, I love my parents for, the, they're not the typical um, pushing parents where they said, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. They kind of, if you want to do it, you can do it. And my dad, they don't get involved in things that they don't know about. My dad doesn't pretend to know anything about rallying. He leaves that to, to the guys at M Sport and Ford to, to sort out. So they're kind of a non-pressure parent. So that's the reason I love having them there. Yeah, and we can certainly see that. We love watching your dad's reactions. You know, if we've got a camera in M Sport when you're on a stage, and you know, there were a couple occasions last year where there were some wild moments from you. His reactions were always quite dramatic to watch, but it, it's great to have that support because you know, not a lot of drivers have family that are able to travel with them, and, and you do, and you're different in that sense from the rest of them, and I think that's pretty special. Yeah, I feel really lucky to have the parents that I do, and to have them on events well my mum doesn't come to all of them she comes to a few uh, but my dad obviously you see him there he's there every single one uh, so yeah he, he himself says he's in a he's in a very fortunate position to be able to to come whenever he wants to a rally and yeah he, he loves it he lives he, he lives he lives rallying 
and he's always asking. He knows more behind the scenes stuff than I do. And I'm there, he's, he'll, he'll send me a text midweek saying, oh, have you just seen who's moved where and who's been testing where and that someone's been driving on a cart track. And they're like, oh, what? what? So he's a total fan then. Yeah, yeah, total fanboy. <laughs> but that's that's great. That's great for you. You mentioned having to get great results to be able to, you know, continue on in your dream to, to be in the WRC. Tell me about your school years. Are you a, a genius or were you a bit of a struggler? Uh, I, I was more of a hard worker. Uh, I clearly had some intelligence, but uh, for sure I wasn't one of them uh, people that I hated that could just go and do an exam, no effort, and get straight A's. No, I had to work for all of mine, and I think it was all through kind of GCSEs, everything was going great A's and, and whatnot, and then basically, there was, I think it was 2014, my first year of rallying, I kind of let it slack, and then my dad, uh, my dad quickly uh, put his foot down and said, right, okay, you don't go rallying, and said, until the grades come back to where they're supposed to be, you don't go rallying, so I learned my lesson then, and uh, Thankfully, the grades were good enough for letting me uh, carry on rallying. So, It is important, though, isn't it, to have that education behind you because as wonderful as this sport is, it has a duration with, I guess, any athletes, although maybe a longer duration for a lot of the drivers. Only look at someone like Sebastian Loeb and all his success, and he's still here in his mid-40s. But you have to have something to fall back on, essentially. What would be your fallback? Yeah, my dad called it, uh, he didn't even put it into plan A, B, C or D. He called it my serious hobby. And to be fair, until about <laughs> a year ago, he still called it my serious hobby. I thought it was like my, my life, everything, but he called it a serious hobby. So now that's why I had to work so hard in, uh, in school to make sure I had the grades. To If it doesn't work out, which is, is like I said, it's there's, what, 10, 12 of us in the world doing this. So there's, there's not a lot of us. Mm. So and it, like you said, it is a, there is a duration on how long you be here. And, dep- and a lot of it is dependent on performance. Uh, so for sure, I had to make sure I had uh, good backup options. Talk to me about the performance element because we've seen quite an upward trajectory from you. You came in in the junior days and it just got better and better and better. Did you did you know yourself, I, I have this talent, I know I'm good at this, or was it more like, as you say, at school, putting the hard work in to get these results? Uh, I think I knew from the beginning that I was going to get somewhere because... I've always tried to be rational and, and well, maybe sometimes irrational when emotions get around, but most of the time try and be uh, try and be rational. I kind of knew that if I put the work in, then I could go on to achieve some some great things. But the majority of it is hard work. And and I've kind of become obsessed, especially over the winter, whereas I have to go into a rally now feeling like there isn't anything more than I can do. Uh, and it's beginning, it's, it's beginning, becoming to a ridiculous point where I'm watching the onboards 20 times for each stage and it's I'm losing my uh, my life almost but it's this year is so important to to put the performances together to base to to prove a lot of people wrong because uh, obviously there's there's 75% of the reason I'm here is because Malcolm wants me in the car but then there's obviously 20 they don't have the budget for three cars so obviously I've had to bring some of the budget there's no denying I'll never deny the background that I come from uh, but for me it's more about showing everyone that it's all about the hard work and that the talent is there and I don't really feel like I need to show much more talent. I just need to show results this year. You've had a bit of a transformation. Um, I, you were by no means a chunky monkey in terms of the way you looked, but you have lost a serious amount of kilos. And that's all been in, in preparation for, as you say, this year, getting the results on the board, being the absolute best you can be. Tell me how difficult that process was because you know it's never an easy one, is it? When you, you have to change your mind to something cut out the curries or whatever and get in the gym every day uh, I, I, uh, difficult is probably not 
not difficult in the attitude I had towards it because basically it was you've got one shot at this you've got to make it work and for me I couldn't imagine anything worse than looking years down the line to say I was at a, an office job and thinking oh I wish I could have tried harder so for me it wasn't it was never a difficult thing to say that I had to be the absolute best that I could be so waking up early in the morning going to the gym going back in the gym in the afternoon was never the thing for sure the sessions were hard and it was a tough winter and you see all your friends going out partying and you have to stay in and because you got to be eating healthy uh, so for me, it wasn't it wasn't too bad. Um, I feel a lot better for it. Um, I've never felt this good in my life, to be fair. Uh, so it's only a positive thing. Yeah, it is an absolutely a positive thing. But it's interesting that you obviously got to that point last year where you thought, right, yeah, my chance is here now and you don't want any regrets. Uh, what are the upsides of it? Other than feeling absolutely brilliant, what else have you noticed? I mean, stamina-wise, is it making a difference in the car? Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, it makes maybe I couldn't really feel any difference in Monaco because not really any kind of stress on the body. Um, but for sure here, it's going to make a big difference to compare to the pre like when I did it in 2018. Uh, so for the past three months, I've been in and out of heat and altitude chambers more than I can count. Uh, and for sure, I got here and I felt so much better and so well adapted when I got here. I was running and the heart rate was where it should be, even with the with the altitude so I felt I was really surprised and kind of one of them like when you look back at yourself and you think oh no good job good job <laughs> pat on the back for yourself you mentioned that you know life is revolving so much around rally at the moment and you're watching the onboards and you're doing everything you possibly can is there a life outside of it or what is the kind of average week for Mr Greensmith uh, I, like I said it, it is a day job when you even when you're at home what people don't see is the hours watching the onboards the hours in the gym hours um, sport working on the cars these things are what people don't see but I've kind of learnt in recent months how to kind of separate I always give myself uh, a day off with some of my uh, close friends but for me the main thing is uh, doing some right brain stuff so uh, that's for me is my dogs as soon as I get home it's time time with the dogs go for a walk and that that's all that matters if I get to see my dogs I'm happy if I spend too long away from them I'm pretty devastated so being in places like Mexico is great because there's loads of stray dogs you can go and say hello to them so it's not too bad <laughs> it is therapy though isn't it? it does make you feel good everyone says you know blood pressure comes down as soon as you start stroking a dog or whatever it really does work and it's a good way to switch off yeah exactly and I, I'd grown up with dogs at one point in the family. We had six dogs at once. It's, <laughs> what? That's a lot yeah. of dogs. And no, they weren't particularly small dogs either. <laughs> we've got a, a new puppy named uh, named Ogre, and she's 18 weeks. And Hold she's on. Ogre? Ogre, yeah. So we had another one uh, called Monster, which is what's actually written on my helmet. Uh, and then the new one, the new English Mastiff is called Ogre, but she's only 18 weeks, and she's 40 kilos, bigger than a Labrador. She is humongous. <laughs> but she's the most docile, placid dog I think we've ever had. She's great. You mentioned earlier on about proving people wrong. What do you mean by that statement exactly? Uh, it's what, at the end of the day, people have an opinion and an opinion are like assholes and <laughs> everyone's got one. Uh, but yeah, everyone says that the only reason I'm here is because I've got the backing and uh, it's factually not true. Uh, I couldn't afford to do a season here. I, people think I'm just paying to be here. I genuinely couldn't afford to do it. so. A lot of it's coming uh, back from uh, from Sport Ford, and basically, I just need to get out there and and prove the point that I'm here for the results. Uh, put the results on the board. Obviously, clearly, Monaco was uh, was a long way from where I wanted to start, but it's it's for me. It's just about putting things together and then sh fighting with with all the other guys and putting performance. And and then if it if it all goes well, and I feel like I 
put everything together there's no reason that why can't that why that can't happen but at the end of the day even if it doesn't happen which i really don't think it will uh then i can honestly say that i couldn't have done any more from my side of things how much i know i think you know all of us who are involved in this sport and in this day and age you know you we're social beasts everything happens on social media you're always having a look to see what people are chatting about i'm very guilty of it and can bring me down at times if you become too absorbed in it what are you like with social because as you said a lot of people got opinions a lot of people like to share them without thinking what, what effect it can have on another person how do you deal with maybe i know there's a lot of positive out there but there's also negative as well how do you deal with that uh, it's the, usually the, th the negative things I come from come from accounts with pictures of something else other than themselves. <laughs> so for me, when you see stuff like that, it's kind of just a, you just laugh and you just think, oh, really, this is this is what your life's come to you behind the computer writing this. And no, it doesn't really matter uh, if, for example, if the negative feedback was starting to come from someone, people within the team or um people that know what they're talking about then that's that's a that's that's the difference if i was to read something about uh, another team manager said about performance then okay they know what they're talking about but people just having a pop and having an opinion is means the square root of zero <laughs> uh so i uh you just take it on the chin sometimes you do like in monaco i i messed up there's, there's no other way around it i messed up i made a mistake so yeah there's gonna be some stick and to be fair i've seen some some memes about it which even i've been cracking laughing at. i think they've been absolutely brilliant <laughs> uh so yeah as long as i don't do that again we're absolutely fine but for sure the negative stuff's out there but you it's one of them things if that's if that's what i've got to deal with to be to be living the dream as a WRC driver, yeah. I, th I think I can manage. <laughs> You're obviously referencing the off that you had in Mex uh, Mexico, in Monte, on the ice, which I think everyone has probably seen out there. And I have to say, all of us were kind of with you, though. When that was happening live, we were kind of like, oh, just, oh, oh. annoying. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> I couldn't have done any better than that, Gus. I, it literally came to the point where we were beginning to spin. I thought, I was like, okay, I've gone too fast on the ice. And then I had the momentum, and I thought, right, I'll just turn the car yeah. around. But obviously, I had no idea about what was on the right-hand side of me. But to be fair, once the camber started to take me, it wouldn't have made a difference if I stopped the car. I was going in the, di I was going in the ditch no matter what. The only way I think I could have got out of it would have been uh, if I'd have just kind of let the car run off into the outside. But is what it is uh it's one of them things looks stupid won't do that again <laughs> but you could laugh about it which is which is a great thing annoying at the time but from what you've seen out there and some people have posted some quite funny things they've obviously got a lot of time on their hands and we respect them for it because it does make us laugh at times but you can laugh at yourself which is a good thing yeah there was like one meme that someone showed me and it's like of like pinger or something going where are you going rallying <laughs> why are you back so quick crashed <laughs> <laughs> uh, that one for me that was a cracker so yeah no you, you learn to have a laugh with it and and, and everything, but uh, for sure, I don't have any doubt in my uh, my own abilities. So once things do come right, all of a sudden that uh, those uh, those memes turn to uh, to other things, and uh, everything is you're only as good as your last performance. So as long as I do a good one in Mexico, I think we'll be absolutely fine. I think you will be. Uh, talk to me about what life is like in the WRC Service Park, then, because you've seen it from the outside. You've been wanting to crack into it. You're here now with everyone, with the other drivers, co-drivers, teams. Does it live up to expectations? Is it a bit different than you thought it would be? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's like, it's, it's strange things that I never imagined would be in my life. It was like I was in the airport in Poland uh, where I lived with, uh, with my girlfriend. I was walking through the airport and then I had three people running towards me asking me for a picture. I was like, this is just not quite right. <laughs> 
And then uh, it's, it's little things like that where you think you, you do realize I'm just a no one from the north of England. You just you want to say that sometimes, but for sure when you're at the rallies, it feels pretty cool when you're walking around with the or competing against the drivers like six-time world champion Ogier, nine-time world champion Loeb. It's 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 pretty cool. And then when you see the name above theirs, it's even cooler. <laughs> Of course. Uh, you know, when you had your kind of first interactions with these guys, were you a little bit intimidated, shy, or is this not the Gus Greensmith personality? Uh, I've never really been one for um, for famous people. Like, for sure, when I saw Loeb, it was a bit different because he was like the reason I got into rallying pretty much. Uh, so when I saw him, I was like, that's pretty cool. But I didn't actually say anything. I sat next to him for the, uh, the Portugal uh, picture uh, for like the for all the drivers yeah. for Rally Portugal. And I was there like, oh yeah, <laughs> this is cool. <laughs> uh, but apart from that, no, uh, Seb was always, uh, Seb Ogier was always really nice to me. We were always really open and offering advice uh, when we were when we were teammates, when I was in WRC2 and he was in WRC at M Sport. He was always really nice, really open and helpful. So it's kind of a friendly atmosphere. For sure, once the helmet goes on, everything changes pretty quickly. And I'm sure some drivers dislike other drivers. Uh, but at the moment, I'm just kind of enjoying the ex enjoying the whole experience, taking it in, uh, but in the right sense where I'm still completely focused and willing to take anyone's hand off if someone offers me something uh, like a position or something if they make a mistake. So, <laughs> You're in a really interesting part of your career because you're not quite to the beginning. You're on your way and we want to see what's going to happen over the next few years with you. What is going to be next? In your head, what do you want to achieve out there? Well, yeah, I was kind of coming into this year thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to be the great. I'm going to be the young one. And then Calais ruined it for <laughs> me. So it's like I can't even play the young card. Uh, so, yeah, I kind of going off what uh, what, uh, what Malcolm said uh, to me uh, a while, like pretty much when we were talking about WRC like midway through last year. And he said, it's going to take you any driver five years to get to like the top level. And then I was kind of like, yeah, OK, we'll, we'll see how it goes. And then. He, uh, he he actually reminded me in Sweden about Elvin. All of a sudden, Elvin's just gone from like number two driver, and now he's like fighting for a world championship, mm. and he's showing everyone else the way. And it was his sixth year in WRC, and all of a sudden, I was like, all right, maybe you've got a point. <laughs> I was like, all right, fine. So we kind of work towards making improvements every year, but for sure, I don't want to be uh, I don't want to waste time around. So, I'll, but I'll use their advice, and maybe sometimes when they're going to tell me to, you know what, just bring it home, get the result, and sometimes they're probably going to say to me go on go for it so mm. i'll take their advice what's it like being around someone like Callie rovenpero you mentioned him i think everyone's a little bit like wow in awe at the moment because he is so young but he's been rallying since he could sit behind a steering wheel which is very different to you and it's it's interesting to look at different careers where they've come from oj was late to the game coming in because he wanted to be a professional footballer i believe and a skier he could do well practically anything he turned his mind to everyone's got a different path out there and that's fascinating yeah i think i was still playing football when Callie was uh, was driving a car so i think he's been behind a car a bit longer than me and uh yeah seb he's just a bit of a freak isn't he 21 <laughs> or 20 something like that until he started rallying and they're like i that's that'd be two years back ago i was like i would not be in this position now for two years from now uh so yeah it's it's different paths for everyone but like like i said I feel football helps me in a way uh, with coordination, reactions, things like that. And you look at people like Loeb, a gymnast, you, mm. you see he's so physically fit. And then Auger as well, skier. These are all things that kind of help towards it. Uh, so yeah, they, we all have different paths, but we kind of all end up at the, the same result. 
So the immediate future then is to get great results on the board this year, work your way up steadily. You've got a great co-driver alongside you now, Elliot Edmondson. You've swapped around a bit in the past few years though. Are you sticking with Elliot? Is it a good match? Yeah, it's a great match for me. I, I'm pretty certain that there won't be any British co-driver that will be anywhere near the capabilities of Elliot in a couple of years when he gets like the full experience. Even now he's, he's outstanding and, and he's incredibly thorough. And that's a real, like I said to me before, that's a really important kind of aspect for a person for me uh so yeah it's we're good friends outside of uh the um outside of the, the outside of a rally as well uh, we keep in contact quite a lot so it's kind of a good friendship in the car but we're also at the point where we've got the the right level of uh, respect which is a really hard thing to find where we can both say right you've done this wrong we need to improve on this or you've done that wrong or i've done this wrong we basically we're when it, the dynamic of our relationship changes once we're in the car. It becomes professional, and then we kind of focus on how can we do something better. Whereas when we're outside of the car, usually he's telling me about his Tinder matches and his <laughs> Tinder dates. So, and I'm reminding him like, oh yeah, I can't really talk about this. I've got a girlfriend. So, oh well, the whole world now now knows he's on Tinder. They'll be looking for him, I'm sure. You mentioned your girlfriend there. You say you're living in Poland now. Yeah, it's uh, it kind of she's there and I'm away plus 200 days of the year so it kind of makes no sense to to visit in between so we might as well we got a place out there and then yeah I basically reason I go back to England is not to see the parents not all it's just for the dogs so <laughs> oh they'll love to hear that how's your Polish then terrible yeah. my Finnish is slowly improving for two reasons Finnish girlfriend and the second reason is my Finnish teammates they speak a lot of Finnish and I'm sure sometimes they're just talking behind my back so <laughs> looking across at me so I have, to, I have to learn the finish pretty quickly you do you need to keep up to after pace with them uh, it's been great to chat with you gus always a pleasure good luck for the rest of the season thank you very much for more great wrc content head to wrc plus for thousands of hours of archive footage from end of season reviews and onboards to features on some of the legends of wrc that is wrcplus.com, the home of WRC Action.